0: Hello and welcome to the International Schools Podcast. My name is Dan Taylor. My name is John McTon. Join us twice a month at the International Schools
1: Podcast as we have conversations with international school leaders, educators, and
0: entrepreneurs working and engaging in the world of international schools and education. And finally, just to say a huge thank you to our sponsor, Acer for Education, for making this podcast happen. Now on to the episode. Hello, guys, and welcome to the podcast. Um, John, delighted to be back. It's been a while. You've been doing a few solo episodes recently. Um, That's right. Miss you, uh, Dan.
1: It's good to have you back. And how have you
0: been? I'm cool. I'm in the United Arab Emirates. I'm in Dubai. Been here for like seven weeks now, which has been fantastic, doing a lot of stuff. I was here for the guest conference, um, you know, the the Middle East EdTech event and a few other things going on, meeting people. Uh, And also met one of our guests today, Philippa Raithmo. She works for the government department in Abu Dhabi and she was previously at Cranley School so and she's written a book so um I think it'd be great uh, you know great ideas to talk to Philippa on the podcast so welcome yeah. Philippa.
2: Hi welcome. thank you very much for having me.
0: Great so um, thank
1: you for sharing the book that was wonderful and uh, I'll let Dan take over but I just want to thank you again for sharing the book it was nice to be able to get into it before we met.
2: Yeah, that's wonderful. I'm glad that you, you were able to as well. It's nice to have some feedback before it goes out to the masses. <laughs> yeah,
0: definitely. We'll try to release this podcast uh, before Christmas, actually. We, hopefully we can move it up there. We've, we've, we've really got a lot. I think we've, we've got episodes until March now. Uh, but, you know, it'd be good for, to help you promote your book. So, yeah, Philippa, so um, before we get on to the book, uh, what can you talk a bit about your background? Because I know you work for quite a few schools. Um And uh, curious about how you got into education, first of all, and then what your story is.
2: Yeah, so I initially did a um, a fashion marketing degree, um, which at the time was something that I thought that I wanted to get into in terms of fashion and um, designing and, and just kind of the whole buying concept, I think it was very big in terms of people's thinking about what they want to be doing. It was very fashionable to be in fashion, I guess, is the kind of thing. Um, but interesting, actually, as part of my dissertation, I wrote about um, the perception of uh, digital media and advertising on children and how it can... Um, have a massively harmful effect it was a time where size zero was was a huge the impactful thing there were lots of billboards of of very very tiny people and um in fact one of the things that I remember writing about was the 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 model who died because she'd uh, not eaten for days and then and then had an apple um and she just had such low body um mass that, that she couldn't cope and so kind of my my thoughts and feelings on how that affected children and the perception of, of the world was, was already quite strong at that point. Um, and actually then then I went into, um, buying and I worked for Claire's accessories and it was, it was really wonderful and and it was very interesting. Um, and then, uh, the big bank crash happened and, um, and I yeah. thought, well, I can't travel and I can't really do a lot. And buying was kind of not necessarily as, as exciting as it potentially could have been. And, um, and then randomly I found out that you could teach fashion and I could go and teach children how to draw and make and create things. And it was something that I've always been really, really interested in. And so I went into the PGCE um, in uh, textiles and food um, and then ended up teaching uh, fashion and food technology and then into food science, um, ended up doing A-levels and GCSE engineering um, and all kinds of things and ran departments and led digital um, technology um, within design. And so it was all very kind of building up, I guess, throughout that. And so I did that for about nine years. And I I went into schools and um, would be able to support with being able to to help bring those different concepts into the future. And it was very much based around these global goals, which is something that I I use a lot of in my work as a teacher. Um, And then my husband and I decided that, we'd quite like to do something a bit different. So we thought we would move to the United Arab Emirates. So off we packed our bags and and we went and I went to work for an incredible school out here called Repton School Abu Dhabi. There is one in the UK as well. Um, And it happened to be an Apple Distinguished School. Um, They'd been open for about four years already, but they were only a primary um so I kind of went into two challenges really which was one I was a secondary trained teacher and I went to become a primary school teacher and my second challenge was that they asked me to be the computer science teacher and also lead digital technology to which I thought I have no idea what I'm talking about um but why not give it a go let's see what happens and um And I think the first time I'd I'd had an iPad in my hand to actually teach with was about two days before I trained all of the new members of staff. So I found my way around it. I worked out what to do. and, um, And most importantly, I kind of had to look at my children and also education and think, why am I using this and why am I doing it? Because if there isn't that information, that kind of why... That I really couldn't kind of work out why I'll be teaching teachers how to use it and why it was so important um, and actually it just it became really apparent that it would just be so empowering to a lot of students and we did an awful lot of work with students who had um, no English language at all but were coming into the school having to be immersed within English language learners and you know our our SEND department were incredible within 12 to 16 weeks we would have students who are fluent in English and it was because of the integration and use of technology um, for those learners and just in terms of how empowering it was and I know that and I wrote about this in the book and when I was a student I didn't know but I was dyslexic and I only got told when I was at university. And I just think I remember sitting there sometimes watching children with these devices, thinking how savvy they were and how amazing it was that they could do all these things and personalise everything to what they needed. Um, and not constantly very becoming very independent, not constantly having to ask teachers, you know, how to do or what this means or whatever, you know, things like just double clicking and finding out the meaning of a word and translating that into their language and things was just so incredible. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that then actually this this can help a lot more than just you know English language learners. This can help a lot more than just having a bit of an augmented reality in your classroom. It is such a wide breadth of of, um, of things and possibilities that it can it can have for students. And I just think that's really incredible. I just think I would have loved to have been a student now because that would have been incredibly empowering for myself as, as, a, as a learner as well. And I know it definitely has helped me. Um, as a learner using devices and being able to be more savvy with technology, um, and it just enables me to be able to to do a lot more. So that was kind of where I got to, and then about two and a half years in, I, I decided that I wanted to challenge myself again and become an Apple distinguished educator, and and that was incredible. And we'd re um, distinguished the school, and I wrote their book about that as well. And it was just such an incredible journey, but. I kind of felt the need that that more people needed to know how incredible this could be. Um, so I moved over to, um, a school called Cranley Abu Dhabi and I was director of digital education there. Um, and actually just prior to COVID starting was when I started that, that job role. Um, but they were a different case. They didn't grow as a digital school. They, they were just a school like every other school across the world who had decided, you know, now is the time that, that technology really needs to have an impact within our classrooms. And how can we make it work? And so that role was a whole new sort of kettle of fish, really. It was just kind of going in and changing mindsets, which is incredibly difficult was supported massively by COVID in some ways because people had to do it and and so those sort of battles that I was fighting initially with why would I have this in my classroom became a lot easier to to be able to deal with and and obviously because it became the facilitator um and then so many people
0: have been like saying that's what I've been telling like I tech directors, yeah. tech coaches like that's what I've been telling you all for 10 years you know the you wouldn't listen time.
2: to
0: <laughs> but now know. now you if, if
2: you'd listened to me before you wouldn't have had all this time sat so trying to learn have it, that So many people said that it's,
0: it's the
1: silver lining of the pandemic you know I think often <laughs> people talk about silver linings of the pandemic and but I would say as somebody that's been involved in this space for a long time I cannot mm. agree with you more and it's wonderful how much potential people that may be hesitated now have and how they're leveraging it I mm-hmm. love walking around and seeing not resistors but people were maybe more apprehensive or they didn't have that intrinsic connection yeah. and now you look at them on LMSs or whatever environment and it's just so empowering to see them
2: yeah absolutely and I just think I think even down to the workload of things I remember um Sitting in, in the hairdresser's, and um, and I wasn't talking to the lady, but she was sat there talking to the hairdresser about how she was doing her school marking, and she's obviously a primary school teacher. She said, I've got this thing, and, it, and it's amazing because before I wouldn't have been able to do this while I was at the hairdressers and I would have felt really guilty for spending my afternoon here when I need to get my hair done, but I've got all this work to do. And now I can just do it on here, and it's amazing. So I'm just there with my pen, and da, da, da. and I just thought, like, how incredible is that? Because. As lovely as it is to think that teachers have 13 weeks off a year and don't do anything at the weekends. It's just <laughs> totally untrue. And and the amount of piles of books and the amount of work and, and marking and, and the reduction that even just just being able to digitalize that can have on a on a on a work life balance is incredible. Um and I just think throughout the whole thing and it it just allows people to, to just be better and have more time to think about actually, okay, what do I want? children to learn and have they learnt it did they understand that and how do I know that they understood it and actually even then digital marking allows allowed me when I was um, last year when I was teaching to, to flick through a book a, a digital book of all the different things people have written and just kind of go okay what has everybody not got what did everyone not understand about my lesson and how can I now go back to that and kind of go okay as a whole instead of me writing 25 times what you need to do is this (laughs) actually you know what my next lesson is okay we all kind of like I've obviously not talked about this in the right way or the examples were not strong enough so let's go back to this because it's a misconception that all of us have had um and then actually the marking and feedback that you're giving to students is even more important and it's more empowering and more personalized to them because you're not giving them generic comments that every single child in the class has been given and you're also not killing your hand by writing the same comment over and over again. Um, it just, just, it just makes things and enhances things, and it just makes it a lot easier and simpler to, to do your job more effectively. Um, and I think my my biggest fear coming off the back of COVID is the amount of people that I've heard say, "Oh, but we don't need to do that now." And instead yes. of stepping back and reflecting and going okay, look at all these brilliant things that I learned how to do and how great would it be if I can still carry on doing them, an awful lot of people have gone and said, oh, but we don't need to do that any longer. (laughs)
1: And Philippa, is that, you think, a reaction to people feeling tired or in the sense that they had to really ramp up their learning capacity Mm -hmm. during COVID to, you know, catch up is the wrong word, but to engage with these new tools and mm-hmm. new ecosystems. And there was kind of a non-negotiable about it. So they feel now, okay, I've done that. Now let me go back to what I used to do because I'm actually more comfortable in that.
2: Oh, it's absolutely about comfort zones, I think. And, and I agree in terms of the tiredness because even I was, I remember the, the, especially the first year after COVID, the summer holidays, and I just, I turned my computer off and I didn't want to look at anything digital. And that was fine because I knew I had a break and I could do that but I, I think if we then as as leadership and as, as schools in terms of, of moving forwards allow staff to stop full stop then actually if this ever happens again they have to do all of that again and actually if we just encourage people to kind of go okay so let's reflect what worked really well within this year group what worked really well within our department what works really well within our school and continue to slowly build on them then actually instead of it becoming oh but it's easier because I know how to do that and I've done it for 20 years becomes that's what we do now because we learned that it can help and it can save time and it can do x x x x and And that really has got to come from the top. And that's that really is, for me, where the, the kind of the main, the crux of things lies is because if leadership are also quite happy to kind of say, oh, it's fine, it's over. And yes, you can go back. If that's what you prefer, you can go and do that. Instead of kind of trying to draw out these really positive elements, then, you know, I, I think that's where it's going to come unstuck. And actually we have a real opportunity here to mentor and coach staff into something that that really isn't it's not it's not even about us as people it's about the people we're teaching and about their future and about what they need from school and what they need from school is not teachers who are sitting in a comfort zone they need teachers who are are continuing to want to develop and want to learn because the majority of teachers that I've ever met that's their biggest thing is I just love learning and I love teaching children and getting them to learn and so you know you kind of you want to be able to be supporting that in your schools.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that a lot of schools that are definitely the ones who I think are being smart about it are, 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 are keeping this learning going. They've they've got contingency mm-hmm. plans to go remote or hybrid or back and forwards between yes. them, and they're, and they're making sure that the tools like you know whether or not it's Google or Microsoft, whether or not it's Zoom, you know whatever LMS and SIS mm-hmm. you're using just they've realized that every teacher has to be able to use these systems competently in a in-person a, in a, in and remote context you know yeah and i just think you know it's like john and me have been saying to people for years and it's, it's, it's like you know it's a sad this is this thing's brought it but i think i know, john like for example your school like you, you've got a contingency plan now haven't you you've got a you've got a if you have to go remote this is how you do it and so and the teachers are already you know continuously trained
1: we actually have all our fifth grade in quarantine and they're teaching virtually our fifth grade team and we have a uh, kindergarten yeah so this is the fact is the reality is today in my context in Luxembourg the pandemic is not over and yeah. we're of course mitigating and doing everything to support our parent community and our learners that they don't have this interruption. So yes, sometimes we still have to go virtual uh, mm. because safety and health is a priority, but also learning is a priority. So mm. absolutely, Dan, I don't think this is over. And I think what's Philippa is saying, that role of leadership is, you know how do we curate and choreograph that in a way that people are connected and feel empowered mm. to do it, but also are given the time and space. And I think, yes. Dan, that's what you're also mentioning yeah
2: definitely sorry i was going to say it's just about little and often it's kind of you know we we don't want that kind of whacking the back of the ketchup jar to get everyone to get through the hole Mm. we actually just want people just to continue to learn and to understand the changes that are happening within those digital ecosystems if if that's part of our school it it becomes part of, of what we need to know it's our tools to help us deliver the job
0: yeah um yeah, and Philippa, uh, actually, just one thing I was curious about, you know, when you're talking about when you started, you did the PGCE. Were you, because that was an interesting role you were doing, were you Were you working for yourself, just teaching like kind of part-time in schools or you, were you actually employed by a school then?
2: No, I was, I, I did a PGCE, um, I went back to Nottingham Trent University, which is where I did my degree. And um, and it was, you did a, a couple of um, school uh, kind of internships where you right. go in and you do your um, school you did uh, sort of a shorter one, which is about two months long, and then you did a longer one, which is about three or four months long. Um, and I ended up working at the second school. I, I had my did my PGC and then did my NQT. And then by the end of my NQT year, I was I was made head of department, and I um I led the design technology department at okay. the school. Fantastic. Um, but it was, it, we did a lot of BTECs, it, it was inner city Nottingham and um, there's lots of BTEX and lots of different um, very much hands-on kind of uh, creative courses to be able to yeah, kind yeah. of bridge with those math skills, science skills and it was very much about okay what what do we need the foundation basis for these students to understand and learn and and again in those, um, the school that I worked in there was a, a really high number of, of students from all over the world that um, a lot of refugees and a lot of school students. That, um, had moved into the area to be able to, to come to a UK school.
1: Philippa, you, you, uh, I would like to switch to the book and the book is called the digital ecosystem, how to create a sustainable digital strategy for your school. And you have broken it up into four themes or chapters. Uh, Uh I'm just going to read them and I'd like to kind of hear what was your thinking? Why those and why that order? So the first one is digital governance in schools. Safeguarding Your Environment, Teaching and Learning, and Cultivating the Digital Ecosystem. Maybe, you know, why this book and what was your approach as you were writing it?
2: Um interestingly probably not in the order that they came out in um I think from the last five years especially being in um the UAE I've I've worked with a lot of educators I've I've been in lots of schools and done lots of training and supported a lot of different teachers to try and build and develop digital strategies um I I found it really interesting because everywhere you go everything is slightly different um and and some of the things that I think, when I first took on that role as digital leader and as, as a person kind of directing the digital technology, especially at Repton, I had no idea how how vast this kind of iPad was going to become in terms of a role. It was very much, oh, you're, you know, you're the iPad lady. Um, to actually, okay, this is about training, it's about teaching and learning, it's about. And then I was being pulled into safeguarding meetings, and it was, it was actually, it's about the safety of the children. And then, so then you start to think, okay, going back well have we got policies in place does everybody understand how to make sure students are safe and do we align this with anything and behavior policies you know we'd get a lot of staff who would initially when they first came in would kind of ask questions about well what do I do if a student doesn't do this or what if they are playing games and so then you start to go back and you start to think about all these different connections and and then when I moved to Cranley a lot of it was much more strategic and I worked alongside um, John Burton who who was in the book as well and I kind of, I'd always worked very closely with another, um, the, the IT manager at Repson as well. And and for me, that concept as well, of, of actually, I, I don't need to understand the nitty gritty of what happens inside the internal workings of a computer, but I need to understand what needs to be there to be able to allow my teachers to use it effectively and use it so that they know it's not going to fail on them. Um, And so that role in terms of of managing and being able to be supported by somebody who is the role of an IT manager is really important because they need to understand you and you need to understand them. and, And they are not a lot of schools will say, oh, IT told us we had to and that's brilliant accepting that they also need to understand that they work in a school and not in an office and the outcomes of what you need digital technology to do are totally different and so I think those different roles became things that I thought were, were incredibly important for other people to understand as well so in my mind in January when I kind of said to my husband I've think I might like to write a book (laughs) and he said okay well what what would it be about and I had all these scatty ideas of in my kind of little mixed up brain of things and and as I formed it it just made sense that the concept of it is that you have to do the groundwork first and actually as schools if we're looking at kind of ensuring that we have sustainable strategies especially after COVID where many schools will have pulled in all sorts of different resources from all over the place is actually let's go back well who's in charge and and what what do we have in, char- in place to make sure that everyone understands their role of this system of this vision of our school and why are we doing it are we doing it because of covid are we doing it because we've always done it are we doing it because it's the new fancy thing or are we actually doing it because we have a high number of AL, we have a high number of gifted and talented students or whatever it happens to be or actually just students need to understand that technology isn't just for playing games on there's so many reasons but actually understanding that reason is is your first kind of thing that you need to do um and again the book goes into you know, it's not just you either it's the gov- it's the governors that need to understand it's the people in your leadership team that need to understand and and it's not a sidecar to education um so as I started to kind of think about it in my design technology head I thought of the geodesic dome which looks really complicated and I have built one once with a group of students and it was frustrating and it took a lot of time and a lot of different negotiations and discussions and trying to have that collaboration with one another to make sure that everybody knew their role and what they were doing and how they were going to hold things and fix things and build things and put them together and so that becomes your framework and that's kind of like your governance so as I was kind of forming it I was thinking well that is the the shell of it and then actually within that shell most what's the next most important thing and actually probably the most important thing in every school is actually the safeguarding is the safeguarding of those students that are there and so that's the glass because we want them to see out we want them to know the world is about we don't want to you know cover their eyes and and tell them that you know it's all going to be okay forever we actually want them to make mistakes and we want them to be okay but we want to do that in an environment that's safe so so that's the glass and and the idea I guess of all of this is that if anything breaks or anything falls you you repair it which is what the end of it comes to but then you have inside you have all these different plants and trees so if you've ever been to the Eden project or anywhere like that that has these big domes with these bio systems that live inside of them they're all different and they have different teachers and different people and different students and all of these different concepts of some are smaller, some are bigger, some grow really quickly and then stop some, you know, and all these different things. And it just reminded me a lot of, of schools and students and and all of these different things that you come across every day. And, and actually, you know, some need taming back and some need to be allowed to, to be free. And so within this system, but we all have to work together. And so that became the plants and the structure within inside it. Um, and then, of course, your teaching and learning is is great but if you don't continually to consider and revise your curriculums and revise the policies and the safeguarding and ensure that everybody still understands the vision and you don't continue to, to look forwards at what your vision is and, and where technology could take you, then all of the things that you've done prior to that are wasted because you're standing still in a, in a world where everything is moving forwards. Um, and so that's kind of where you cultivate. So you do your teaching and learning and you embed it and you use all these brilliant tools to, to help students to be, to be their best selves. And then you continue to go, is that enough? Is that the right tool? Is that the right thing that we using the right systems? Do we know how we're doing it? Are we trained? Do we need to look for the next step? Are we ready to bring in something really incredible and wow, now that we know the foundations are there. And so once the muddle in my head had become a bit more sort of straightforward it, it became four parts
1: great thank you no and that <laughs> that's that's a nice way i love the analogy of the glass dome and the glass yeah. and uh, that's wonderful that's so rich and you you, you highlight that you know it's not a sidecar I like that too. So, uh, absolutely. And I think the emphasis that you share in the structure really highlights the importance of it not being a sidecar.
2: Yeah.
0: Great.
1: Philippa, another question is So, if I'm a school leader, or I'm a teacher, or even a governor of a school, and I purchase this book, how do you want people to interact with it? Is it like you read it from page one through five? Is it it more, is it a guide or is it more kind of a, you know, what was the approach? What were you hoping readers were walking away with in the way they interacted with the book? Because it's extremely comprehensive and you go into great detail in each chapter, uh, you know, on teaching and learning. and, And it's really nicely set up with little paragraphs and, and highlights. So it's really structured in a way that's very approachable. And then you of course have these anecdotes that you pepper the book with. Tell us a bit about how what how should one use this book if one is reading it? What's the, you know, what do you see its purpose?
2: Well I, I kind of see it. There's there's a lot of books that I've picked up and the ones that I found have been the most useful for myself have been the ones where it's like that because I can open it and flick to a certain page and go, okay, I'm I'm focusing on this today. So actually what, what does that look like? And what might I be missing? Or, and I guess, in the first sort of the bit about the why which is the first the introduction to it and I think that's important to kind of read because I think everybody needs to think about what what they're trying to achieve with technology and everybody's is going to be different and this is another big concept of the book is that every school is different we're not going to put them all in boxes and everyone's going to be the same and everyone has the same apps and everything else because they're just different every school is and and so you know I said kind of write down things like what is your why like and then my vision for it really is, is you know, that it's that book covered in sticky notes and, and having little tabs and things that you might copy out and, and actually share with people and sort of say, OK, we're going to have a discussion about this. And how does that look in our school? And, well, this is an example from a different school that, that's been given in the book. And how could we do something that would be similar or have a similar effect? Um, and, and a lot of the teaching and learning from my perspective was a lot of people want to know why and why it's so important. And so for me, when prior to COVID, when I was trying to, to support staff to understand how it could be helpful was, okay, well, let's do an impact trial. Let's do something small. And then you get staff who are a little bit fearful of that and you kind of go, I don't need you to do anything other than just say what started, what happened and what happened at the end. Like, what was the outcome? Was it better or was it worse? Did the students learn in a different way or did it make no difference? Made a difference? Don't do it. If it did, how can we make that bigger? And so, starting to have those conversations that link teaching and learning into digital technology are really empowering to staff, and and just really help them to focus in on your why and their and what their why is as well. So, I hope it. You know, I hope people read all of it, but I also hope that people kind of go into sections of it potentially. If they're a safeguarding lead, they might you know focus in on that and what that means to them. Um, but equally, as, as if someone is a teacher, they might kind of understand the concept, but actually, their focus might be the teaching and learning section, um, and maybe you know, interacting with some of the educators that are in that book. Because I know all of them would be more than happy for people to reach out to them and, and actually talk to them about these things. That's why they wanted to be part of the book as well. Um, it, and it really is. It's about it's about sharing. The big the big thing for me, the thing that instigated writing it initially was lots and lots of people ask questions um, about it and about all these different sections. And I ended up going into all these details about basically about what the book is. And then so you then you have more questions. And so actually I thought it would just potentially be quite useful even to a few people to see the big picture of digital technology. Um, So I I hope it becomes a tool for, you know, for for lots of teachers in different areas, even something that, you know, you have a copy of in, in the CPD library that, that people can go in and out of and things, but I, I hope it's covered in sticky notes. <laughs> I, I have a
0: question, Philip. Like, what um, I think a lot of people listening to this have thought about writing a book about education technology, or they're looking into it. Like, what have you learned in the process about you know talking to publishers, looking at self-publishing? What 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 tips would you give to someone who who is thinking of of, of writing a book themselves? What have you learned through for, for the process?
2: Um, I learned. Oh, well, it takes it takes a lot of of talking to other people about. I think in my mind I thought, okay, five years I've been doing this and I have learned so much and I'm just gonna put all that on a piece of paper. And you do kind of go, well hang on a minute. Actually, well what if people don't agree? Or what if people think there's something else that's more important? Yeah. So I spent four or five months of the whole process and, and it, it didn't it didn't take me that long but I'm I'm very much like I need to sit down and just get this done and I like to have things finished. Um, but at four or five months, I'd say of eight, were talking to other people, talking to educators, yeah. and and I really wanted to grasp an understanding from all over the all over the world, really. Um, but it was really important for me to speak to governors as well, because one of the the things that I always, as I've moved up within schools, I found that it's always someone else who's not letting you do it so it's no it's not the principal it's not me it's not me it's not you know and all these things and you kind of go okay well where is it where does it stop so I spoke to governors as well and I spoke to people who work with the government um so I spoke to Dominic Norrish and I spoke to people who've worked within government and come back into schools and and all sorts of different um I think I spoke to three different governors across the whole process who are active governors within schools in the UK and abroad and um and it was really interesting a lot of the things that they were talking about were were how much impact they can have and and how that kind of looks onto it as well. So I think also I needed to speak to people at all these different levels um, just to get a real rounded perspective of it um, because I think so that that was my biggest thing was I didn't it didn't need to be my opinion necessarily. it just need, I wanted it to be very um, agnostic of you know I could have I could have written a book just about the things that I've done in my classroom, but actually, that's not relevant to so many people, um, and and one of the things that I've done. So I used to run EdTech UAE where we we got together and talked, and it, it was about supporting each other. And this is this is what this is for. It's about going. Okay, now I have some sort of guidance as to what what I need to plan out to make something successful. Um, so I think, yeah. It's, it didn't quite go on the journey that I thought it was going to go on. I thought it was just, I was just going to start writing it and that would be it. Um, So yeah, definitely planning more time than you probably thought you needed. Um, In terms of talking to publishers, I, I only really went to one, which was probably quite bad, but they just sent you a, sent me a, um, a document. I just had to kind of fill out the concept and and I did have to research whether anyone else had already done it. Um, And I, I couldn't find anything other than academic research papers that had spoken about the impact of digital learning and technology, but nothing went into all of the concepts of, for me, the, the whole school. Um, so I think it's, it's sort of making sure, I guess, that that there isn't already a lot of that out there because it could potentially be that then it gets washed into the ether, um, which is such a shame when, when you've put a lot of work into something. Yeah. I can imagine. In, in the
1: book, you have these, it's, uh, you highlight different educators that kind of share their own experiences and their perspective. And it's really nicely done where in each chapter, there are some educators that kind of maybe amplify what you're saying or give their own anecdote. Why did you do that? And how did you go about doing that, getting them to kind of engage with you?
2: So they are there because I, I've i not been able to write this book without being inspired by all of these different people. And actually from the beginning of my technology ed tech journey, definitely. Um it's because of other teachers and other educators and being able to share with other people and discuss with other people that I've got to the point that I have. Um I so Mark Anderson for instance, who wrote the foreword, um, I read a book that he'd written and um, I can't for the life of me remember what it was now, but it was the fact, I've been told I used to teach computer science, so I, I got myself a computer science book. And the first thing it said was, was go on Twitter. And, um, and straight away I did, and I found it so helpful. And, and I observed, I didn't write anything, it was quite scary, and I wasn't, you know, I didn't really know what I was doing. And then eventually I sort of started to talk, and I started to reach out to people, and I found that the actual, the ed tech community for teaching, and the education community generally, was so friendly and so ready to share and it wasn't something that I'd ever experienced before within the schools that I'd worked in the UK it was it was people were almost fearful of sharing and I thought that was such a shame and it was so empowering that I'd go to events and I'd just say conferences and I'd just to watch and listen and, and to kind of learn from people and started talking to people and found that everyone just felt the same they just wanted to share because what they were finding out and what they were doing was incredible. It was making a difference. Um, so the people in the book are, are people who I guess are quite like-minded, like they want to share what they have learned. They don't want to keep it a secret because it's not yeah. a secret. It's teaching and educating children and it shouldn't be kept under lock and key. And so those people specifically were chosen. Um, I mean, I reached out to some and and then, and, and I offered out a few uh, times on things like Twitter and LinkedIn and said, you know, I'm, I am looking for contributors. I'm looking for people who, who would like to to say something about something really impactful that's happened within their school, within one of these areas. Um, and it was it was incredible. So I, as you said, John, I've what I tried to do was link things to those stories. And if I didn't have something for a specific area, then I would try and reach out to more people and and see if there was something else that I could have. But but yeah, a lot of it was built upon the the connections and networks that I've managed to gain. Um, Throughout teaching and, and just trying to be quite open and, and, and a lot of the time saying, I don't know what I'm doing and I've got to do this. Can somebody help me? Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. and, and I think that's brilliant. And that really is one of the most empowering things about the educational technology kind of Twitter is if people, if you need help, people will help you because it's not about getting it wrong. It doesn't matter. And it's taking those risks. And I think that's really nice.
1: I can't agree with you more the generosity of uh edtech people and and I think generally all professionals that are on Twitter they use that mm-hmm. as a by being in Twitter it's almost like a, a unwritten rule you're going to be generous and share out you know and especially education uh a space. And, you know, I also agree The at tech space is so generous and every day I'm, you know, mm-hmm. leaning on people. And then of course, what's important is to give back and not that Absolutely. sense of ownership or as you, with your anecdote and the other context was where people are more closed about that. So no, I, I, I love that. And I know Dan and mm-hmm. I have really uh, enjoyed that in our own professional contexts as meeting people yeah. and how generous people are. Although I do
0: disagree, so I'm going to have some controversy here. I do disagree with both of you. I think EdTech on Twitter is helpful, but I think outside of EdTech, I think Twitter is just, I don't think it's encouraging to the people, you know? I think in mm. certain areas, like exactly in EdTech, where people are using their real, you know, their real put their real, you know, name and people know where mm. they work. I think it's super encouraging. I think outside of that broader education, it can be encouraging, but it can be a nightmare. Mm. And I think general Twitter... I, I don't know. I don't think ever, anyone's ever persuaded someone of their, to change their opinion based on Twitter. <laughs> like, yeah, I don't know. I see <laughs> what you're saying. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. yeah I, but I think for EdTech, it's great. I 100% agree about EdTech. I, I find it great. Mm-hmm. I've been on Twitter for more than 10 years. I'm not sure how long. I first signed up when you still had to send a text message to get on Twitter. Do you remember those days? You had to send a text. Remember uh, <laughs> those days. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, That's crazy. I know, yeah, it really is. But yeah, it, it's a good idea.
1: But Dan, I, and, and I, I thank you for disagreeing with us. I think that's what we enjoy about <laughs> this podcast: is yeah. we get to disagree. I think another space that I'm really seeing being used much more in the professional context is LinkedIn, it
2: and I'm seeing some really in interesting
1: yet. things going on in LinkedIn groups. And I'm getting many more messages: "Hey, I see you're doing that." is there any way you could share that file or whatever? So yeah. I think in LinkedIn, I'm, I'm, I'm finding, I'm spending more time on LinkedIn uh, than maybe sometimes Twitter or some Facebook
2: yeah.
0: groups. Yeah, yeah. I've actually left Facebook, although I still got a group. So I need, to, I need someone else to keep an eye on it, but I, I've still got, I can, I've done it so I can still reactivate my account, but mm. I, I just, I just didn't like Facebook. I, I you know, I'll tell you why I left. I, I was starting to feel that it didn't make me happy going on Facebook, you know. I didn't enjoy mm. I just I just saw my friends posting stuff and I was like, oh, come on, I don't want to read this. That's just, that's just, I like you, I like you in real life, you know, like I don't need to hear about your yeah. friends. So I've actually i actually, like, no. I actually not Facebook, and I'm, I actually feel happier not checking Facebook right now, which is kind yeah. of strange. I know you got a big Facebook group, John, so you probably disagree with no, that. I can of have no, no,
1: no. I don't. I basically my Facebook group is the only time I go on Facebook. I'm, I'm not. That's you go idea. to my Facebook. I have a lot of pictures of trees and flowers. That's all you get to see from me.
0: Yeah, well, it's, see, I see, I see those on Instagram. I see your your trees and flower pictures. I'm, on I'm into I'm nature. nature.
1: That's my thing. And, and yeah. if I may, Philippa, you are a parent and you have a partner, so you. are a busy parent at the same time as being an educator and an author how are you balancing all that you know when do you get to play lego and when do you get onto the manuscript
2: well i have to say this morning i mean it's the first of december i don't know obviously how that plays out with you pushing this out but but first december so a tree day my day is christmas tree day so the boys have um and i've built a, a lego wreath for the door um we have been spraying dinosaurs gold and this morning we made snow so we made these bell jars with tiny dinosaurs that are gold holding christmas trees (laughs) um and we're about to make paper chains out of this huge calendar i have this big skendig calendar which is like massive um numbers all over it and every month i save the paper and we've been making christmas decorations out of them so um yeah, I, I definitely like to switch off but in in a in a way that's very balanced. I like to kind of not be anywhere near any technology really. My my husband thinks it's quite funny because he's just like you're they they call me digital digital which just kind of came out like some random comment my husband said. Um because at work that's all I do and then as soon as I get home I cook and bake and, and make things and have a sewing machine and quilt and do all these kind of sort of very crafty hands-on things. Um which I think is is exactly where everyone should be. You know, there's certain needs for technology and there are certain things that it doesn't need. Um, And I just try and involve them in things really as much as possible. There's lots of kind of tasks and activities and um, my husband... is very supportive he also does an awful lot of the cooking um and we just kind of balance it really we're very I guess modern in terms of that like he you know i do drop-offs he does pickups we do you know we share everything and it's you know if one of us is busier or has lots of things going on then we, we pick up the slack and but we we're very kind of at the weekends, it's family time and, and that's it. And we, we we go out, we have at least a full day out together every week where there's no play dates, there's no, nothing that kind of interferes with that. And we'll go and play football or go canoeing, kayaking or whatever it happens to be. So it um, sounds
1: like you, you you really are disciplined. You've created you know a, a real structure, maybe very informally, but it, it sounds very purposeful. Mm. And... and adding a book to that must have put some pressure maybe to give up some of that?
2: It definitely did around the time when I was actually writing it. Um, But again, that's kind of where he came into play, I guess, really, is that support of of he would take the boys out and they would go and play football or they'd go out for the day somewhere and it, it just meant that I'd quiet and and you know and, and they're great like they you know for a long time they they were asking when when is it going to come out when's it going to be real and um they'd come home and you know how many words did you write did you do your target and and things so it was very nice and very encouraging very sweet boys like one of mine's 11 so he's quite old now but he so he kind of understands everything um that's going on but um they do now they said oscar my youngest said to me um When's it going to arrive? Because um, I'm hoping it's going to put me to sleep at night.
1: <laughs> 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 like, that's great. That's, great. that's so, great. Yeah, right. definitely.
2: But I, I think it is, it's also about, they know that that's what I do for a job. But for me, everything is, is very much about balance. And I think that's the same in schools. Like I've always said, um, you know, if it, if it was taken away, we should still be able to learn. And I think that's really important. And my children know that there are boundaries and that that digital technology is not the be all and end all. And actually, that there's a lot of times that we need to just not be on anything and we just need to be reading or playing sports or outside or just talking. Um, So we play a lot of board games (laughs) and cards.
0: Great. Well, Philippa, I think that's a perfect place to leave it. Um, Definitely John and me are big fans of taking a break. Uh, It's sometimes not very easy to do. And and I I know John and me are always messaging each other at six in the morning and replying instantly. So I think John and me definitely, despite (laughs) our best intentions, need to turn off a bit more from from technology sometimes. (laughs) But um, thanks a lot, Philippa. Uh, John, any closing comments from you?
1: No, thank you, Philippa. And it's so nice to hear kind of the journey of your book and also how people can use it. And I just want to remind our listeners, the digital ecosystem, how to create a sustainable digital strategy for your school. And it's going to come out when, Philippa? So if people want to grab copies.
2: It was out on the 28th of November. So Fantastic. So it out for a few
1: days. Yeah. And right. so you just go to your favorite bookseller and you can exactly. grab yourself a copy.
2: Thank you so Thanks, much guys. for having me.